Hello and thank you for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlifefor.us. you all bring a Bible to church? I have one. I have my old Bible. See it? Sorry about that. I have my old Bible, which I love. I carried this Bible for many years, and years and years went by with me carrying it looking ragged like this, and folks kept buying me Bibles for Christmas and for my birthday, and they thought I couldn't afford to go buy a Bible, evidently. It took me a while to figure out, you know, and every Sunday I'd still show up with my old ragged one. So I had to tell them, it's not that I don't appreciate what you've done for me because I love, I love that you love me enough to want me to have a new Bible, but I don't like new Bibles. I like my old Bible because I know where everything is. Amen. And, uh, you know, you get used to certain things. I've got an old pair of boots I've had for fifth. 15 years this August. I've had them 15 years. And uh, I'm planning on keeping them another 15 if they'll hold together. But I don't like getting rid of my old stuff. How many of you like me? You like, you like what, what's comfortable and what you're used to, you know? Praise God. But on occasion, I like to add something new to what I've got as long as I can keep the old. You know, I like to keep my church family, but I don't really care what building I'm in long as I have you all. Is that all right? We, you know, we, we've learned the phrase around here, blessed are the flexible for they shall not get bent out of shape. <laughs> Amen. You just have to be flexible if you're going to be a part of Cornerstone Worship Center. Amen. Because you never know where we'll wind up in church at a flour mill of all things, a school cafeteria. But all that's, we're paying a price now for something really wonderful that's coming. Amen. Pastor Eric told you a little bit of it, uh, that we have a, a different piece of property, much better piece of property. It's much better in this respect. It's, it's worth a whole lot more money than the one we had. It's worth a lot of money. And, uh, and God gave it to us. God just gave it to us. It was just really, really wonderful. Oh. Because God is good all the time. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Well, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to, you know where, Revelation chapter 1. We have a lot of scripture to look at today, and I hope I get through it all. Uh, talking about kings and priests, and this is our final message in this series of kings and priests. Somebody say, it's been good, but it's about time. Amen. Well, you know, some things, some, some things are just too big to, uh, to just have one or two messages on. This is a fairly large subject that uh, is important for us. I'm getting a ringing someplace. I don't know. Maybe it's just in my head. Could you turn that down? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Revelation chapter 1. Verses 5 and 6. Say amen when you found it. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead 
and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, whoa, 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 loved us, unto him that loved us. Is that us? Or is that them? That's us. Him that loved us and washed us from our sins. Washed us or washed them? Washed us, okay. And in his own blood, praise God, and hath made us kings and priests. Is that us or is that them? He's made us kings and priests. He's made us. He loved us. He washed us in his own blood and he made us something. He loved us, washed us, and made us something. He made us kings and priests under God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I love this. He loved us. We're the same. It's the same people. He washed us and he made us kings. Now you might say, hey, 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 that kings and priests thing, that's in the Old Testament. Well, it is. But there's an awful lot of things in the Old Testament that made it through the New Testament. Here's what you must remember. That this kings and priests things was not just under the law, however. Remember, Abraham was considered to be one of the kings. And Melchizedek was a priest long before, 400 years before there was ever a law written. And the doctrine of the New Testament is taken from, primarily taken from the book of Genesis. Now, there are a lot of things in the law and the Psalms and things like that did come into our teaching in the New Covenant. But primarily it comes from one verse. Almost all of Pauline doctrine is centered around the hub of the revelation of Genesis 15, 6. The Apostle Paul teaches us Genesis 15, 6 says, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. That tells us that faith is not something to take us to righteousness. It tells us that faith is the equivalent to righteousness. And there's just one way to be made righteous, one way to get righteousness, one way to become righteous is by faith, operating in faith, trusting, believing God, that what God has provided, what God has promised, that that is true, and you'll put your, you'll, you'll, you'll put your whole life over onto that. God looks at that and calls it faith. You'll start acting like what God has said is true. And that's why salvation is wrapped up in a message from God. And the message from God is this, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. When you believe that, when you trust that message, see Abraham trusts the message of the promises. Well, we're trusting the message of a promise too. Christ died for our sins. That's a great promise. I don't know if you, if you ever heard a good promise before, if you've ever heard the gospel or not, you're hearing it today. Christ died for your sins and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He didn't do all that for himself. He did all that for us, for us because he loved us he washed us in his blood and he made us kings and priests unto God. Glory be to God. Woo! I don't know what that does to you, but it makes me feel good all under. Remember that underwear commercial? Feel good all under. <laughs> Amen. These spiritual things that make you feel good all under. I have been um, studying the scriptures for many, many years and did not understand this aspect of it. Let's, not, let's, let's just have a bit of a recap. Let's not say that you're either a king or a priest forever. You're a king or a priest in your function in the church. Generally, most of the vast majority of us are kings. We're meant to conquer. That's what the Bible means when it says we reign in life. Kings reign, and every believer is called to reign in life by Christ Jesus. Act like a king with authority out there in the world. Glory be to God. 
And if they say you can't, you pull out your sword and prove that you can. Oh, you know, they told John Osteen, you can't build a church during the oil crisis, the oil bust. And back in the early 80s, you know, the oil went down to nothing and Houston lives on oil. I mean, you may not know that, but it, you know, it has a fairly broad economy, but its primary economy is oil. And when oil went down to nothing, they told John, Brother Osteen, oh, you, don't be trying to build a building during this time. You're going to have to wait a few years till the economy, till oil comes back. He said, I'm not building them on the basis of this economy. I'm building it on the basis of God's economy. Praise God. You know what? Built the largest church house in Texas. And I've been there when the place was jam-packed full with standing room only and very little of that. 8,200 seats in an auditorium. His son today is pastoring probably the largest church in the United States, praise God, because they did not believe that the economy of America was the economy of heaven. The economy of heaven is something altogether different, something altogether higher, something so much better, we can't even describe it in words. We're seeing it right here at Cornerstone Worship Center. I pastor a church that acts like there is no such thing as a recession. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. And, and, in, and in response to that, God is causing. You know, God gave you that new property. God gave you that valuable. God gave you all that we, that we were able to, to, to get with, uh, through other people who are involved now in the area where we're going to be building. It's just, just, just a beautiful thing. I'm talking about probably, probably $1.5 million in value has come to this church in the last week or two. Oh, you ought to shout bigger than that. Didn't you hear that there was a recession going on? Didn't you hear that there wasn't any money out there? Woo! Glory to God. <laughs> Amen. Well, I know that's not a world full of money, but you know, it's more than what we had. Amen. Now, it wasn't in cash, but it was in properties and goods and services that will be rendered. It was just, just a real blessing. Now, this, this, this partnership exists between kings and priests. Carried right through the New Testament. Existed before the law. They found it in Melchizedek and Abram. It's a divine relationship. They work together for the good of the kingdom. They always have worked together for the good of the kingdom. You see, I believe that too many Christians go through life wondering if they're, if they're doing anything. They're faithful in their tithes, faithful in their offerings, faithful in their attendance, but they feel like they're not doing anything because we've not properly identified the power in the ministry of the king. We've made, it feel, we've made people feel like they're supposed to somehow graduate to being a priest. Hey, this is, this is not a ladder. You're called to what you're called to. And let me say to you, until your calling as a priest manifests, you're supposed to function as a king. I functioned as a king for a lot of years. I can have you call people. I, I rode the Santa Fe Railroad for many, many years, long nights, doing my best to stay awake and not get killed or kill anybody. You know, riding those trains, riding cabooses, riding engines. I've spent a lot of years out there, a lot of years out there working hard. I mean, doing, doing, you know, making a living. So, and you know what? My number one priority was to write that tithe check, write that offering check. I mean, it came out first. If we had money left over, great. But if we didn't, we gave our tithes and offerings. I don't know how I got it, but early on I got it that that was my function. The time I knew I was called to preach, 
But I functioned as a king as long as that priesthood office wasn't open to me. Everybody understand this? You might, the Lord might call you into some sort of, in some sort of full-time ministry. But, it, but, but it, until then, function in ministry in the kingdom as a king. You know, there, there are entities out there holding on to the kingdom's money. You kings are supposed to go out there and give me that money back. Huh? Well, I turn, take it from them. I'm not talking about in any kind of evil way. I'm talking about in legitimate ways. But that's what kings did. They went out and fought. Are you hearing me? And they brought the wealth into the kingdom of God. Now, so they worked together like a horse and a wagon. Yeah, somebody got it. Praise God. <laughs> that's the best amen I've had in a long time. I mean, what good does it do you to have a wagon? Huh? What good does it do you to have a wagon if you don't have a horse to pull it? What good does it do to have a horse and have a load, have something to carry? And, you know, I mean, I've, like I said, I was raised on a farm and I've had horses and cattle. And, and I remember getting a, not having a wagon and, and, and only having my cow pony and uh, had a calf that was lost and separated from its mom, was clear on the other side of the of the farm on, in another field and, and pinned off, and she had somehow left him. He was just lying there trembling, didn't know what to do, and he wouldn't run away. And I was concerned about him, you know, because the woods weren't too far from where he was lying. I thought, well, I'm going to get this baby up, get him to his mama. So I picked him up, and I got him on my, got him on my saddle, and I got up in the saddle, you know, got him on my lap, and I've got this baby calf here in my lap. And I'm, All right, let's go. We start going along there, you know. And the calf got so excited, well, he didn't have a diaper on. Pretty soon I had it all over my saddle, all over the horse, all over me. And, I mean, he was real excited. You know, there's a day I wish I'd have had a wagon. See, the horse and the wagon work together. They work together just like the king and the priest work together, just like you and your pastors work together. We're in this thing together now. Everybody has to do their job. Everybody has to do their part. I thank God. I thank God that, it, that, it, that I got this understanding early. That, you know, I could sow for my future. I could sow for my own harvest. But I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me say this. I need you. I, I, I want you to sow for your own harvest. And I believe God's going to bless you for that. But I need you. I need you. This ministry, Pastor Eric and I, we need you. Miss Ann, Miss Heather, we need you in this partnership. Because else, here we sit with our wagon and no horse. Hmm? Praise God. All right. I was uh, struck by the, the, the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 32, and you don't have to turn there. But it says, else how can one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight? Now, the Bible says that it's possible for a man when God is on his side. And that's what that whole passage of Scripture is about. You have to read several verses to understand its context and its meaning. But what he's saying is, with God on your side, one can chase a thousand. One person with God on his side can chase a thousand. And do you know another guy on another team, he can chase a thousand as well. There's another guy someplace by faith that can chase a thousand as well. But the Bible teaches 
that two don't chase 2,000 when they're together. Two do not chase 2,000 when, to, when they're together. What happens? One can chase 1,000, but two can put 10,000. Well, what happened there? It's the same reason why when Pastor Eric or Pastor Brandon, whoever it is, announces it's offering time at Cornerstone Worship Center, we shout for joy. That's not just a perfunctory thing. We found in the scriptures that the, that the Macedonian churches, they mixed joy with their deep poverty. Mixed joy with their deep poverty. A supernatural thing with deep poverty and came up with a massive offering so large, Paul said it was bigger than anything we imagined that they could do. Glory be to God. I mean, listen, when you mix what you're doing in the natural with supernatural things that are on the inside of you, everything gets better. Everything gets bigger. Everything begins to prosper. We use these spiritual things. We don't have a, 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 a spiritual life and, and then a secular life. Our life is our, not our own. We got our life because of our relationship with God. And so all of the wonderful spiritual things, all of the wonderful deep things that we got from the Word, all the principles of faith, these apply to the way we live. And our natural life becomes a supernatural life. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Natural life becomes a supernatural life so that one can chase a thousand. You give me somebody to agree with. You give me that horse. Can I have a good amen? You give me that horse. I'm going to make things happen. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I just had to do that. They... Uh, friend of ours, we know in ministry, tells a story. He was preaching along these lines one time years ago. and a man came to him after the service, back in the back, church. He said, I need to talk to you just for a moment. He said, I could tell the guy was well-dressed, you know, and probably had money. The guy said, I just have to talk to you just for a minute. Okay, well, what's that? He said, when I was a little boy, my daddy used to tell me, I want you to go pray. Every night I want you to pray and ask God what he wants you to do. He said, so I prayed and asked the Lord what he wanted me to do. He said, I asked the Lord what he wanted me to do. What do you want me to do? He said, I you know, never really heard anything until I got to be 12 years old. And one day, I was praying and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And said, and the Lord said, I want you to be an architect. He said, I came downstairs and told my dad, Dad, the Lord told me what he wanted me to do. What is it, boy? He said, the Lord told me he wanted me to be an architect. He said, my dad's countenance fell and said, no, God don't. That wasn't the Lord. You go back up there and you pray. You ask the Lord what ministry He wants you to do. So I went and prayed, and He said, I prayed and prayed till I was 18. The Lord never told me what He wanted me to do. He'd always told me. He said, <clears throat> He's telling our brother, He never told me anything else. 
He said, but I just knew. My daddy had told me God didn't call people to be architects. That couldn't be it. He said, so when I got out of high school, I, I went to Bible college. He just said, I got my theology degree. I went and got me a, 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 a position at a great church, big church, about 1,500 people. Had several hundred kids in the youth group. He said, man, I got in there and started teaching those youth and working in the ministry. And before long, they had 100 in that youth group. I was so good. He said, and after that, they, you know, I preached a little longer and worked with them a little longer and went down to 50. So, oh, man, I was really in the ministry. Driving away by the hundreds. He said, until I finally just quit in despair. Not caring what my dad had said and feeling so guilty, he said, I went back to college. Went back to college and got a degree to be an architect. He said, all these years, he said, everything I've done has prospered. Everything I've done has prospered. And at the time, at this point right now, he's talking, talking to the preacher. He said, at this point in my life right now, I don't even bid on jobs that are under $50 million. We don't even, we don't do any jobs that are under 50. That's the, that means he wouldn't be our architect. <laughs> He said, I've got a, a firm that just everything, everything we do prospers. He said, it's just amazing. But I've got to tell you something. Every single day of my life, preacher, I got in the car, got on the freeway, and headed toward my office for 35 years. He said, every day of my life I felt guilty. And I begged God on the way to work to forgive me for not being in the ministry. He said, I've put millions of dollars in the kingdom. He said, but every day... I felt guilty because I wasn't in the ministry. He said, that is every day until today. Because when I heard you preach on kings and priests, <laughs> that changed my life. I know I've been in the ministry all along and from now on I'm no longer guilty. I no longer feel bad. I know that I am the horse pulling the wagon of the kingdom of God. Nobody has a ministry more important than yours. Nobody has a ministry more important than yours. Well, brother, I don't have the talents one has. Listen to me. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Let me just give these guys a place to turn. I don't necessarily need you to turn there, but Matthew chapter 25 and uh, verse 14. Turn there, fellas. Matthew 25, 14. Jesus tells a story of a man who was a wealthy man and he went into a far country and he left everything that he had with three of his servants. And it says there that he left five talents to one of them, two talents to another, and one talent to a third one. And he told them what to do with this. He said, I want you to use this money and gain me more. He returned, now this is Jesus talking. It's just, this parable proves to you that Jesus is not a socialist. Jesus is not a communist. Share and share alike, take from the rich and give to the... That is not biblical and it's certainly not with Jesus. Preacher, I, I really like how you're preaching. I don't care if they're with you or not, I'm for you. You just keep right on going. All right. 
One guy has five, one guy has two, and one guy has one. And when the master returns, he says, what have you done with that that I gave you? Those. Now, by the way, a talent is worth a lot of money, a couple of million bucks. One talent. And in the, in the New Testament, talents are never described as your ability to tap dance. Talent is never talking about, about you picking the guitar. Talent is not about how, you know, how good you bake cookies. In, in, not in the Bible. In the Bible, talent is always, every time, talking about money. They weighed silver and gold out in talents. And if it was gold talents, it was worth $2 million. He gave one fella $10 million, and he gave them, he divided them up, one, five, one, two, one, one. He divided them up, listen to me, he divided them up to them, it says, according to their own abilities. There are several abilities of what they were capable of handling. You know, some people are not capable of handling large amounts. But even the guy that got one got about $2 million. And when Jesus said that this master returned, he came back and found that the guy who had $10 million in value, five talents, had another $10 million with it. There you go, sir. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy. Well done, thou, thou good and faithful servant. Okay? Next guy had two talents. What did he say to him? He said, hey, here you go. I got two more besides. Listen, he was just working. He didn't have as much. Hear me. He did not have as much to offer, but only in percentage. In percentage, he had the same amount to offer because he did with what he had what he could. And he dealt with what he had faithfully. Well, my little old offering every Sunday is not going to amount to that. Oh, if there's faithfulness, what's this? This is a spiritual thing. If there's faithfulness mixed with your little thing, God will make it more than what you ever dreamed it could possibly do. Because we, we, we mix faithfulness, which is a supernatural element. We mix joy, which is a supernatural element with, with what we're doing with our physical offerings. Is everybody getting this? Well, it's just my little bit. Oh, no, 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 no. Your little bit with God, when you mix it with joy and faithfulness, praise God, is massive. Well, then there was a third guy who said, I, I knew you were really tough. I knew you were really hard. I knew you'd want all of it back. So I hid it. I hid it because I was so scared. He's a North Texan. He was scared. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't scared. I hid it and I knew you were severe. I knew you reaped where you did not sow. Oh, you knew that about me. You knew that about me and you still acted this way. And the biggest problem this guy had, he said it, I was afraid. Fear is the biggest thing that keeps God's people from acting like kings. You keep acting like a king, you'll not have the reputation. I mean, you keep acting fearful, and you'll not have the reputation of a king. Huh? That's right. That's right. You don't have to fear. You're a king. You have a force behind you. You have a power behind you that's bigger than what's seen in just a king. Amen. It's the priest's job to provide or to supply vision. Why we're in this together? I mean, if we all had our own vision, you know, we wouldn't even have a church. 
You have a church when there's really one vision. And the priest provides, the prophet provides that vision. Amen. But the kings supply the vision to take us all someplace together. It's a beautiful thing. The supply of vision and the supply of provision. Oh, yeah, but I need this and I need that. You know, everybody needs, and I understand that everybody needs, but God wants you, your needs met exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. It is the will of God for you to prosper and to be in health. It is. I mean, any argument about that is just lame because the Bible is full of this. Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He died for our health and for our prosperity as well. He was taking away everything that death brought in, a curse of every kind. He settled it, praise God. You just got to get a hold of that. I mean, can't we just nail that one down? That it is not the will of God for you to be sinful, not the will of God for you to be sick, and not the will of God for you to be broke. I mean, I, I just wish that some of the preachers who stand up and preach against those things would at least study the Bible first. It couldn't be clearer. It just couldn't be clearer. Amen. He wants you blessed. He wants you blessed. But hey, hey, hey. He wants you blessed so you can be, what Pastor Eric say? Be a blessing. The will of God for you to be a blessing. I've told you mine and Miss Ann's story, how we had a desire in our heart to, to give half of our income away. Well, we're, we're just over 30% now, praise God. And before it's all over with, we're going to be giving half, maybe more than that away. Frida Lindsay gives all of her paycheck away. He just gives all of it back to, back to Christ for the nations, back to various ministries. Just gives all of her money away. I said, Mom, what do you live on? She said, I don't need any money. You have to eat. Well, God supplies. That's utterly amazing. I want my faith working like that, don't you? I want my faith out there. You know, the king of Thailand has this marvelous palace. I mean, it's gilded everywhere. It's just this enormous, gorgeous place. And every room in it is his. The king of Thailand is wealthy beyond imagination. But do you know where he actually lives? He lives in three rooms up, upstairs somewhere that you can, you can never get to. Huh? He lives in three little rooms. Just a little kitchen and a little dining area. I mean, I mean a little living area and a bedroom. Him and a couple of his kids and his wife, they live in just, just a little tiny place. Just a little tiny place. I mean, they have the whole palace. They don't want to live in that palace. Don't need it. Because kings are just like everybody else. They want to roll around on the carpet with their children. Right? Isn't that right? Don't we just want, don't we, huh? We're all the same. And he has just, in his mind, said, hey, I can have everything, but really what I need is what I need. Even a king just needs a few rooms to enjoy his life. I mean, you've got to stop measuring your life by what the Joneses have down the street. Hmm? Right? Right? So that gets to be covetousness. And God brought us in to be kings in the kingdom. You're not the king of your own life. Your life isn't even your own. Your life isn't really your life. Your time isn't really your time. Your, your body isn't even your body. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. Well, certainly, your money isn't really your money. My money's not my money. My life's not my life. I gave it all to Jesus. Amen. And how many of you are thankful that we've already received the offering today and we're not going to receive one afterwards? I'm not trying to pump anything up. I'm trying to encourage your heart. 
and give you reason for living. Reason for living and understanding your place in the kingdom, that your, your existence as a child of God, being in the house of God faithfully, giving of your tithes and offerings faithfully, supporting the vision of the church. I can't tell you how important that is except to do my best here. Say, without you, your faithfulness as kings in the kingdom, this vehicle of ministry will not go. Second Chronicles 2020 has an interesting story, and I'm going to finish shortly. Second Chronicles 2020. I'm going to turn there real quick, like. His Lord said, oh, that's 23. Matthew. Can we turn to Second Chronicles 2020? Yes, no. All right. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of, the, of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. Now this story is about them going out to battle. They're going out to battle. And they're battling a people that are bigger than them, that are more, uh, more in number and more skilled than they are, with better weapons than they have. Going out to fight them and do not have the ability to win. Do not have the ability to win. But he said, don't forget, there's a God in heaven. And if you'll believe him, you'll be established. And they'll be unestablished. Hallelujah. And if you'll believe the prophet, then you'll be the one to prosper, and they'll be the ones that leave this battlefield broke. You getting this? So, so it's important to just open your heart to believe. You know, and, and I, there are always trust issues. Well, I know what the Catholic priests have been doing. Well, okay. Okay. But you know, there's probably more other kinds of Catholics in prison than there are priests. I can promise you this, way more business people in prison <laughs> are on their way than there are preachers. But you still go into Starbucks and all the, all the other places and you still do business with business people, right? It's the trick of the devil to point out those preachers that have been stupid to get us to distrust all preachers. It's like there are good lawyers... Oh, never mind. Uh, I, I, no, no there, are good, there are good lawyers and bad lawyers, of course. But the bad ones give the good ones a bad name, you know. I mean, and let me tell you, I mean, if you need a lawyer, there really are very few substitutes, right? If you need one, you better get one. Yeah, but there are always trust issues. But I think that those trust issues get magnified when it comes to the man of God. Because the devil is doing everything he can to keep you from trusting, respecting, honoring the man of God. Because he knows if he can keep you from trusting, honoring, and respecting, that then you will have excuses not, not to be a good steward. Because hmm? we're all called to honor, respect, and stewardship. Well, I may have to finish this another time. I thought I would be able to get through all of this material, but I want to finish now with this story. 
Miss Ann and I in 1989 were in Houston, Texas, and we were, we were at a great conference there at Brother Osteen's church, John Osteen's church. And uh, it was, he was celebrating 50 years in ministry then. And there was a man in the crowd who stood up and had a camera on him, and he started talking about John Osteen. As they're retelling John Osteen's story about how he was a Baptist preacher and got filled with the Holy Ghost and, you know, speaking in tongues and all that, it was kind of exciting. And, and, and he, he, he started kind of telling his story. Well, this man in the crowd stands up and starts going, No, that ain't how it happened. He said, I'm a Baptist preacher too. I know what you did, John Osteen. You got over there messing with them Pentecostals and you, you got too close to the riverbank and you, you slipped off in there and became one of them. Anybody here know who that preacher was? That was Jim Hester, my pastor. Put the whole big meeting on hold. I mean, it must have been close to 9,000 people there. And there were every kind of spiritual dignitary in the world. Ben Kinslow was there. Dr. John Mears was there. Uh, 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 one, of the, one of the U.S. congressmen was there from Houston. Uh, 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 T.L. Osborne was there. R.W. Schambach was there. I mean, lots and lots and lots of really famous people were there. Famous to me. I never dreamed I'd be in a room with most of these people, and there I was in a room with all of these people that were big in my life, who had been mentors to me and what have you. And I said to my wife, I said, and I'd made a list of my such a country boy. In fact, it's in this Bible. There's a whole list of all the people who were there. I could just name them off. Right, right there they are. Right there it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, K.P. Johannan was there, and uh, uh, KCM's representative was there. Kenneth Copeland actually was there. Anyway, a whole bunch of people. And when that happened, I recognized who Jim Hester was because I'd heard him speak a few times. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, of all the people, I went down that list, these famous people, if I could just have one of them to come to our church, it would be Jim Hester. He was a long way around the auditorium from us. And she said, really? <laughs> I guess he wasn't her favorite. But uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I'd rather have Jim Hester than any of them. And she said, oh, that's cool. So after the service, we were walking out. Now you can imagine what a room full, you know, close to 9,000 people is like. I mean, people everywhere. And we're just sort of just walking along the next little space that opens up in front of us. We're just trying to get to the door. We headed to the door that we came in. And, and as we walked, we got right to that door. And guess who was walking out right in front of us? Jim Hester and his wife, Joanne, whom I didn't know. And Ann saw them. And she said, John, what? you see who that is? That's Jim Hester, isn't that cool? Talk to him. God's, what are you, and I said, well, I, I will. Talk to him, John. I mean, she just knew. It was a God moment, you know, because of what I'd said. And, and so I, I, I was kind of scared, you know. I mean, he's a dignitary to me, and I was going along, oh, oh, uh, 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 Miss, uh, Pastor, Dr. Hester? Yeah. I said, you don't know me, sir, but I, I'm John Holler. Sir, could I go get your car? What? I mean, if you don't mind, I'll take your keys because I want him to remember me. I wanted him to remember me. So I said, could I have your keys? I, I want... He said, I'll go get your car. He said, it's raining, boy. I said, yes, sir. But I, I want to go. Well, okay. So he handed me the keys and I got his keys and I ran out across the parking lot just drenched, you know, and got his, got his car and drove it up there and got out. I said, sir, could I talk to you just a minute before you leave? He said, sure. I said, I would love to have you come to San Angelo, which is where we were passing the time. I'd love to have you come to our church and preach. 
He said, oh, yeah, man, I've been to San Angelo a hundred times. Yeah, I'd be glad to see you. Yeah. yeah, just talk to Squirrel here. I said, Squirrel? He said, that's me. My name is Joanne. Good to meet you. Anyway, so, so she put it on the book right there. She said, yeah, I'll put it right, right here on the book. And he was still pastoring at the time. And so off he went. And uh, had him scheduled for September to come on a Sunday night. This was in the spring. Okay? On July the 25th, my pastor, the only pastor I'd ever had for my entire life, a man that won me and my entire family to the Lord and baptized us all in Oklahoma water, a man by the name of H.D. Morton Sr. I don't know what I'd do without that. So from July 25th until September, I had no pastor. But then Jim Hester came and he preached at our church. He preached like a crazy man. By the way, that crazy man will be here the last Sunday of May. He'll come both services. He, uh, he said, he said uh, oh, he's doing really good these days. Strong as two acres of garlic. He, he said, he said uh, after the service on Sunday night, Monday morning came, and he says, John, I need to talk to you. I said, yes, sir. Uh, right now? He said, no, I want, to, I want you to meet me for coffee. Okay, so he told me where to go, and he knew San Angelo really well, so we met on South Chadburn Street at the Dairy Queen and got, got a cup of coffee. We're sitting there talking. He said, he said hey, you mind if I tell you a few things? I said, no, go ahead. So he just started pastoring me and said, first thing you need to do is this, and the second thing you need to do is that, and the third thing you need to do is that and that and that. Told me about five things that I needed to do, and he said, and if you need... You need any help doing them, I'll be glad to help you. But I need, I need you to know that before the week's out, you need to be working on these things. Try to get this done. Yes, sir. Anything else? He said, no. And the, way, the first thing I do is this. And then he start backing up to elaborate on them, just like he's preaching a sermon, you know, one at a time. He started to elaborate on them. And I sit sitting there start crying. I just cry and wiping tears. He said, no, son, I ain't trying to hurt your feelings. I said, no, you're not hurting my feelings, Pastor, Pastor Hester. I said, this is a blessing to me. I said, you know, since I met you, since I met you, my old pastor up in Oklahoma went to be with the Lord. I said, this is the first real pastoring I've had in a long time. I said, this is in my life. And I said, and I, so I told him the whole story of what I had said at Houston, how God let me meet him. That's the first time I ever said that. But it was quite miraculous. And I was like, I said, well, if you agree with that, I'm just wondering, would you be my pastor? What, uh, he started kind of rubbing his thumb like this. Well, I guess. I feel like I can. Well, I knew he was the right guy for the job because he wasn't looking for the job, you know. That was 20 years ago this September. Praise God. And he has been my pastor ever since because let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm going to have a man of God. I'm going to serve as a king in his ministry. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I'm the priest of this house. You're the kings, and act like you need to be the horse to pull this wagon if I'm not willing to be the horse to pull somebody else's wagon. You understand? So when the man, when the man, when the little man talks to me, I listen. Because he's a great big man to me. He's a little bitty guy, you know, but I mean, he's a big man to me because he blessed my life. And everything that he told me to do, I did. One of them, it took me two years to get it finished. You done that such and such yet? Uh, no, sir, but I am working on it, Pastor. I really am. You know, I have a board, and I've kind of got to 
work with them. He said, yeah, yeah, well, you just need to tell them you've got to do it because your pastor said so. I said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it took me a while. I'm just going to be honest with you. It took me a while to get around to doing that thing. But finally, I went in and I talked to my board. I said, look, I'm getting pressure from above. What do you think? They all said, sure, whatever you think. Pastor Jim says that's what we should do. By then, they, by then, they knew him and trusted him. Okay, and we do it. Everything the man told me to do that I've done has been a blessing. Everything he told me to do has been a blessing to me. Listen to me. Believing his prophets. What's going to happen to you? You shall prosper. Now listen, I know this is a bit uncomfortable. It would be. Some preachers just couldn't do this because, you know, they think that folks are thinking, oh, well, he has ulterior motives. He's trying to, no, 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 no. I know you know me. I know you know Pastor Eric. You know we're not trying to twist you around. I'm trying to teach you something that's scriptural. It's going to help all of our lives and help our church go forward. Can I have a good amen today? All right. Let's stand up on our feet. Once again, thanks for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For information about our church, service times, and additional resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlife4.us. God bless you.